Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city. Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns. I'm super excited to be today to be joined by Mike Ramp. He is a good friend of mine and a repeat guest on Coastal Front. He's an award-winning real estate agent serving the Vancouver proper area. Mike, after graduating from UBC, went on to start this business, which he's grown into one of Vancouver's premier real estate teams. So much so that in 2019, he managed Engel & Volker's highest producing team in all of North America. Uh, since 2007, Mike has been a member of the Vancouver Medallion Club, which represents the top 100 realtors in the city. He's here today to chat with me about the current real estate market in Vancouver, which under normal conditions is always a hot topic. But today, as we experience the fallout of COVID-19, this global pandemic, and the aftermath of an economic shutdown, even more questions are raised about the topic of buying and selling homes in Vancouver. So thanks for joining us today, Mike. Let's get right to it. Thanks for having me, Andrew. <laughs> so let me start by talking about a couple stats here. So we're it is the middle of June. Some May stats have come out. I'm just going to read these to you, and then you can kind of get dive into what, what the market's looking like. And it's, to be sure, we're talking about Vancouver proper here, yep. although these stats are actually for all of GBRD. These are from the real estate board. But yeah, your area especially is Vancouver proper, right? Correct. Okay. So the GVRD uh, st uh, stats from... Um, from the real estate board or as such. May sales were de had declined by 43% compared to last year. So these are these are the sales of actual units. And the dollar amount of, of, of decline in, in dollars is 41% from last year. Uh, May sales numbers have also declined by 69% compared to the real estate peak of 2016. And a similar metric, 69% drop in the number of dollars that have sort of changed hands since uh, 2016. So if you go look at year, uh, May over May from 2016 to this year and from last year. So we've seen obviously a massive drop and undoubtedly the big drop here is going to be largely uh, attributable to COVID-19. Uh, but are there, are there other, first question for you is, are, are there other factors that are driving this sort of drying up of, uh, of sales activity compared to a year ago? Or is it really just the COVID effect? COVID has been really interesting. Um, it's been very challenging to conduct business. So if let's even take it back to March 15th. I remember my wife and I had the conversation, okay, I think it's time you work from home. Um, let's move everything back. So on the Monday, I think it was around the 16th, uh, we had a couple deals in play. And when you have an accepted offer and all of a sudden you get the call, okay, I want to do an inspection. Okay, well, you can't because the tenant won't let you in. The appraiser can't get access because they've shut down shop. The banks aren't answering your, your phone call because they're not comfortable lending. How are you supposed to get to the finish line? Right. So you, you and you had do, a few contracts in this. In yeah, this we had a number. The whole team. Um, by the end of that week, we had probably twenty listings. Um, April first, we had one. It was vacant and easy to show, so we were okay to continue to show that. All our inventory came off the market. All of our accepted offers fell apart, uh, basically because we couldn't get to the finish line. How are you supposed to sell something if you can't do your due diligence? Right. So now that takes you into kind of the second week of March. Uh, everything slowed down. April, we're still figuring out what's going on, but appraisers have now figured out what they wanted to do um, and how they were going to con conduct business. We can get into kind of how they did that. Um, but everyone started to learn how to do business. So COVID obviously had a massive impact on that. That caused everything to slow down. Now, why would you consider putting your home or condo on the market in the middle of April? Like, why would you? Because mm -hmm. you lost your job. You're now, you couldn't defer your mortgage. You had to sell. You got divorced and you did not want to be left with your partner in the middle of a divorce, locked in a home where you couldn't leave and go to the park <laughs> and get some space. So guess what? Put it on the market. Get me out. Like, I want to find my next home. Yeah. So, so those were the desperate sellers. When exactly. you saw someone listing in April, they were probably- you needed to sell. 
Right. You'd either bought something in March and you needed to move and you couldn't bridge finance or you had a reason. You were not calling me, Andrew, saying, hey, you yeah. know what? I'm going to test, test the market. The market. Yeah. Not going to happen. So COVID impacted what was going on in the sense of it slowed things down because nobody wanted to do business. And the people that had to do business, they did business. And that's why you see such low numbers. The numbers dropped because they had to. Mm -hmm. So you can't buy something if it's not available to buy. So those, well, that's why those numbers dropped, is why would you put your home on the market? Again, you're not testing it, you had to sell. Mm -hmm. So you're not seeing the normal stats of a typical market. So that's, I think, why it's slowed. Now you didn't okay. see, you talked about prices. Prices have not dropped, essentially. They're exactly the same in almost every sector. Is that right? For all, for all of, I'm talking about Vancouver, east side, west side, and downtown. Okay. The numbers are exactly the same. Interesting. So that's that gives you, Proof yeah, and just to be just clear, these numbers were an aggregate of, I mean, they're reflective. That's why the percentages are almost identical because they just reflect the amount of dollars changing hands, which, yeah. of course, if you have a drop by 43%, then clearly your dollars of changing hands should drop like 41% as well. Yeah. Um, so let's talk, let, before we go any further, let's talk about the three markets that we are going to discuss here so that listeners understand that if you're if you're listening to this and you're in Burnaby, I'm sorry you're out of luck. We don't, we're not covering that topic, <laughs> but you mentioned East Side, West Side, Vancouver. And, and downtown. downtown. Okay. Yeah. And then what I'd like to also do is make sure that we spend time talking about the different products within each of those markets. Maybe they're not always available, Like, uh, but I want to talk about the condominium market versus fully detached homes, the luxury market versus say like, you know, something maybe like uh, entry level homes. Because um, yeah. I know when you were here last time, we talked a lot about one of the things we got into was what, how much would it cost to get a house that's, uh, you know, what it would cost to purchase a fully de detached home. And there were like a couple of listings available at a million bucks. But I remember I said, would you would you buy them? And you're like, well, I would, I'd buy it, but I wouldn't live in it. Yeah. So um, you're saying the numbers are the same as they were pre-COVID. Um, so what are we, let's talk about those different markets first of all. Okay, sure. I'll, let, I'll, I'll open that up for you to just talk about what the market's looking like right now. Well, why don't we compare detached and attached okay. this time versus a year ago? Sure. So let's talk in the beginning of March, you're looking at regular sales were around 95. You see about 95 homes sell every two weeks on the west side. Because these are volume, we're talking about volumes right talking now. About volume. okay. yeah. <clears throat> that dropped to 34, so a 64% reduction. Mm -hmm. uh, all the way till now we're catching up to the last two weeks, mm -hmm. we're seeing a 22% drop in volume. Again, prices have stayed the same. Attached, uh, these are condos and townhouses, so okay. everything attached. You're looking at a 70% drop in early April in volume. Wow. And you're seeing a 14% drop at the end of May. Mm. So you're seeing these numbers starting to catch up again. The, we're now getting a little bit more comfortable in the environment of how and how is it possible to sell a home. And we're at Condor Townhouse. Mm -hmm. um, and then what was the other section, uh, other well, part of the question? Well, the, the, there's the two types of products. So there's attached and detached. Yep. And then the different areas being your three, your East Van, West Van, and then downtown market. Obviously, downtown's going to have virtually no detached home no, sales no. it's all attached and equally like in west side of vancouver i imagine there's probably not a lot of detached or attached homes you are seeing like on the west side you've got all of kitsilano which are predominantly condos oh, and you've right. got the lower section yeah. from like 16th 12th down around yeah. canby you've got olympic so village and so yeah. you've got okay. a big mix point. yeah um the the average price point for yeah. a house on the west side this time last year a house on the west side yes was 2.9 3 million. Okay. Now it's 3.04. Oh, so it's gone up. It's gone up. The average. And okay. the I find this very interesting. If you're looking for something on the east side, this time last year, the average house was 1,347,000. Okay. And it is now 1,450,000. It's gone up. Wow, so it's about a just about almost a 10% increase. Yeah. So 7.5% like yeah. increase in from May to May. Yeah. You're talking condos there's only a 4% difference and a 3% difference for townhouses. Yeah. So the actual market that's gone up is detached. Now, I, I think one of the reasons for that is it's rare. You're not building When you more say rent. gone up, the number of volume or the price? That's price. Okay, so can you repeat that, that price up. one more time <clears throat> for the detached? So the detached is 1.347, yeah. went up 7.5% yeah. to last month is 1447. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your rationale behind why detached is doing better than than um, 
attached homes uh, right now. I think if you were going to invest in something now, would you rather invest in a condo where you share a smaller ratio of the land or you buy a house where you can buy more of the land that's the rare asset in 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 Vancouver we're not building any more of it we're yeah. building a lot more condos we're not building any more land right so the detached market is still very busy because mm-hmm. of the the whole long-term investment aspect of the of the investment when yeah. we were talking about say six or seven months ago we were getting to a point where it looked like there are some homes that were like detached homes that were selling for almost the same price as an attached home a condo and it seemed like shouldn't the ratio always be that in a detached home should be more than a de- and then a than attached home like shouldn't a house with its own piece of land sell for more than a condo so we did see that gap yeah. um it was short-lived I, I mentioned that there was some good opportunities there yeah. now you're seeing a big gap where the average townhouse is 1 million 125 mm. um and on the east side uh, the average house being 1447 at Escast, and then a townhouse is 905. It's under a million dollars. So the gap is only $550,000 on the east side, but you've got a $2 million spread on the, on the west side. Mm-hmm. So that, and that, that definitely did come down if you look at the average price per square foot for, mm-hmm. for townhouses. Interesting. Are you surprised that prices haven't moved? Meaning, meaning I haven't moved down? Like, are you surprised? No, no they, I'm not. You're not? Uh, no, not at all. Um, let's have this conversation in six months. Right. Uh, I think that could be very different. Yeah. Why am I not concerned now is the people that are buying and selling. Not, not concerned, surprised. Surprised. Yeah. Um, no, no, I'm not surprised because we, we've done several deals in different categories over the last couple of months. And working with buyers, the I, I used to call it the COVID discount. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd like the COVID discount when I presented the offer to the seller and I got a swift, polite kick out the door saying, your offer is not welcome. We're not desperate. We don't have to sell. Right. Um, we were typically in a 5% range of accepted offer to sale price mm-hmm. uh, or list price to sale price. Th- there were not big discrepancies in asking price and sales price. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of our sellers, if they did decide they wanted to sell in the last couple of months and they weren't desperate, the attitude was we're probably going to get some low ball offers, some buyers looking for deals. We're just going to be patient until the right buyer comes across. And they sold in probably twice as long as they used to. But eventually we did get an offer that came together at a mm. reasonable price. Interesting. So that COVID discount that a lot of the investors were looking for. Never materialized. Didn't actually, yeah, there yeah. was no, no, no fruition there. Now you started in this business just before the global financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Yep. How much did prices drop then, kind of in the depths of that financial crisis? Like 15 to 25, depending mm-hmm. on which sectors. Yeah. And you're not surprised that it hasn't dropped the same? I mean, we've got another financial crisis. So maybe that's, maybe that's a, a rhetorical question. But I mean, my view is the reason I think the reason that we haven't seen prices drop is two reasons. One is I think interest rates have gone through the floor, yep. which means the borrowing cost is even cheaper than it was already at, which is amazingly low before. It's not even, I mean, we saw HSBC last week came out with a five-year fixed-term mortgage at 1.99%. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, So I think that's one reason. I think the other reason is this, what I'm describing as a bailout for all program where everybody's getting money from the federal government. And this is evidence in, in the actual stats by the, commercial banks. They have to publish their balance sheets. every. We've talked about this a lot in our videos. The banks have had to publish their balance sheets every month. And the cash levels at the banks are at levels we've never seen before, like like insanely high. I mean, very, just to give you a perspective, TD Bank and Royal Bank combined only added $5 billion of cash to their ca- balance sheet. So this is when customers come in and put more money into their bank deposits. Okay. okay? From 2019, on the entire year, that went up by $5 billion. Those same two banks from January 1st to March 31st of this year, it went up by $100 billion. And then just last month, Royal Bank, I think it was Royal or T, one of the two, added another $46 billion in one month. So there's just an insane amount of cash going to the banks right now. Insane, like unheard of. And it's largely from the sort of anecdotal evidence I'm getting is that there's people out there like you and I who... I mean, you got a personal real estate court, probably. You probably qualify for the CBA loan, a $40,000 loan, where yep. it's interest-free for two and a half years. 
And if you pay back 30 grand, you get 10 grand to stay in your pocket, right? Yeah. So it's a slam dunk for most business owners and everybody's applying for it and most people don't need it. And so what happens with that money? It just sits in the bank. Yep. So the banks are flush with cash. Uh, I think the big challenge, so that's the second reason I think that there's there, there's enough money flowing around right now by the federal government being pumped into all sorts of business owners and individuals' pockets. You've got, of course, the CERB, CERB the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, which is now just announced today. It's been extended for another six weeks or something yep. like that. Um, insolvencies. We're going to be having a podcast here with um, SANS Trust Team, and they, they deal with personal insolvency. Personal insolvencies have dropped by 50% since uh, like the beginning of the year. 50%, they've gone down. How can you have a global pandemic, a major financial like meltdown, and insolvencies go down by 50%? So I agree with you what you said, Mike. I think we should sit down in six months yes. and see what this picture looks like. Yeah. Um, so with that, let's talk about the luxury side of the market. I always love talking about that because it's, it's always wacky. There's always sorts of weird things going on in that space. First of all, what defines a luxury property? What is there a dollar number that defines a luxury property? The previous brokerage that I was with set a cap at uh, $3 million and then you could put your black sign outside the property because that differentiated uh, <laughs> luxury versus not. Uh, you can buy a piece of dirt on the west side of Vancouver for $3 million and you would not step in there with your family and kids. I can promise you that right now. <laughs> so I think it really does it depends on where you are and what you're looking for. Like Montreal, probably, I don't know, a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, Point Grey, you're probably five to seven million. Mm -hmm. uh, downtown, um, you can buy properties for $4,000 a square foot. You can mm -hmm. buy properties for, if you're lucky, $700 a square foot downtown. Mm -hmm. Very unlikely. Or you don't want to live in it. Mm -hmm. um, so it really does depend on the segment and the location. So, uh Around a $2 million for, for, well, it depends on which section. Are you talking about a luxury one bedroom? We've got a one bedroom right now that's a luxury townhouse and it's $1,500 a square foot. Mm -hmm. I would consider that a luxury okay. one bedroom townhouse. So when you look at luxury property, you don't look at it so much by the absolute dollar amount, by the squat, but more by the cost per square foot, especially when you're talking about condominiums. Yeah, gotcha. I think okay. it's a good way to look at it. Okay. So let's talk about the luxury market in Westside Vancouver, because that's where you get the most expensive properties, right? You've got places over in UBC and um, West Point Grey along Drummond Drive and whatnot there. I see the odd place being listed. I always check out on my little um, realtor app. It's kind of fun to look at. Yep. There's places listed there for 17, 25. There's a place I think is currently listed for $35 million. And you do a lot of, you, you transact in a lot of this market. I know that. What's happening in that market right now? Not a lot. No, <laughs> I did a valuation. I've got an appointment after this and wanted to see how many properties sold over $4 million in the last two weeks, two months. Yeah. One for 13 million. Yes. And one for five. That's it. Yeah. In and what area? Downtown and downtown. Mm. Now, wow. it, but if you look at something like Whistler, the last 11 homes that have sold were all over $4 million. Mm. Anything under 4 million is getting no action. Um, in so, Whistler? In Worcester. Why? Uh, if you own an Airbnb right now, um, call me if you're busy. I want to know why or what you're doing. <laughs> right. Nobody's going to Worcester. You've got no Americans, no Mexicans, no tourists really coming to Worcester yeah. at the moment. Yeah. So that market's really pulled back. So who's buying? Not the short-term rental investor. You're, right. you're looking at the the buyers that are looking to take advantage of a the great market. The affluent who can yeah. um, maybe save themselves 5%, 10%. And, exactly. Mm, if you're buying a $4 million prop or yeah, home right now, you're not struggling from this environment. Yeah. So the luxury home market in Westside Vancouver, the 5 to $8 million plus range, th there's not a lot of product being moved right now. No, and th that's and, just condos. Yeah, that's just condos. So detached market, you're not seeing a big movement either. Okay. Uh, we did an evaluation on a $10 million property um, earlier this week and there've been no homes that have sold this year in that segment. Now, how much of that is a factor, do you think, of uh, COVID-19 and maybe a slowdown in international travel, international buyers? And how much of that has got to do with the fact that there's insanely high uh, uh, foreign home buyers tax? Definitely a combination. Mm -hmm. um, COVID wasn't really in our uh, vocab at the end of last year. Yeah. Um, we, we only heard about it in, in December where we thought it could maybe affect us. The 
the taxes and everything that the government's implemented are not making a lot of foreigners welcome in Vancouver to buy real estate. Yeah. Uh, add COVID into the mix. How are you supposed to buy something in the luxury market without seeing it? Yeah, sure. It's not easy. Borders I'm not going to shut down. Exactly. Yeah. You're not going to spend $10 million to go uh, buying something on a Matterport video or a virtual tour. Yeah. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, COVID obviously has had an impact on it. Yeah. Uh, although we did show a property down in Southlands last or two weeks ago to someone from Taiwan who's trapped here. So th there are a few, but not a lot. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't bank on it. But if you had to weight it by if a pie graph and you have, you have basically two metrics, uh, foreign home buyers tax and COVID, what percentage, uh, how would you adjust that pie as far as the the impact on the on the luxury market and West I was going to say, don't quote me on this, but I think I don't really have that option, do I? Uh, no, I'm you down on this <laughs> I, I would say maybe 40% COVID yeah. and 60% from the taxes. So that's still the issue. And, and yeah. the, the, yeah. the welcomeness that yeah. they're feeling. Yeah. You know, it's interesting if you think about from a policy perspective, the, the whole idea that liberals brought this out first was the home buyer's tax, which was because they're getting a lot of heat from the BC NDP. I think it was originally 20%. Is that correct? 15. It was 15. And now it's a 30 20. now? Because now it's 20. Now it's 20. Yeah. Um, and so here's the thing. If you think about it from a policy perspective, may, maybe it helped address this affordability of homes uh, not being picked up by wealthy foreigners when you're talking about properties that are in the half million, a million dollar range. But when you're talking about properties that are worth five and $10 million, that's not affordable today. And even if the prices drop by 50%, it's not affordable tomorrow. Yet you've basically stopped the movement of that activity. If you don't have real estate moving around, and I think listeners need to understand this, if real estate doesn't move, not only does the poor realtors like Mike not make any money and he's got to pay taxes and he's paying people to work for him and it's a, there's a kind of a trickle effect, but way more importantly from a policy perspective is the provincial government makes zero. Because property transfer tax only happens to be paid when it transfers hands from one to another. How many times have they had to review that line item in the federal budget? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, in provincial budget. Provincial, too. a yeah. lot. Oh, a most, lot. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah. that, that number is going to even be worse now because of this low, low activity. No volume. We did the math on a, on a sale. If you were a foreign national purchasing a property and going to leave it vacant for around a year, yeah. you're writing a check of almost $1.7 million. That's insane. On a $5 million home. Yeah. So the product doesn't move. The money doesn't come in. I mean, you want to you want to tighten up your uh, your money laundering rules, no question. I completely agree with that. But there's lots of clean money, wealthy clean money out there that should be able to come to the market. Even if you say, can't buy anything. If you're a foreigner, you can't buy anything worth less than $5 million. Because at least it gets that market moving again. Yeah. Because otherwise you're limited to just the wealthy individuals that are kind of in Vancouver. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Speaking of that, a little segue here. One of the questions I have is how will the beneficial ownership registry affect the market? So do you know what I'm talking about here? So for those listeners, just to make sure we're clear, the other thing that the BC NDP has come out with, and it's been delayed because of COVID, but they've come out with it, what they describe as their beneficial ownership registry, where basically every single piece of property now has to have a declaration, whether it's owned by an individual or by a corporation. If it's owned by a corporation, you have to declare or attestate you, you, who the beneficial owners are so that there's no more hiding behind who's got ownership of a property, and which is interesting. I think it's probably not a bad move, but more importantly, which I think is a real, uh, uh, a real contentious topic, is it's going to get published so that everybody can see who owns what. And, where. And, and I've talked about this with David Eby, and he said, well, there's there's an opportunity for, you know, like celebrities, for example, to have their name removed, but I don't know what criteria they're going to apply to that. What are your thoughts on a beneficial ownership registry? Do you have any I thoughts? I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to be good for us to know who's doing what. And I think the whole money laundering, I'm glad you brought that up. That is an issue. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's necessarily as big of an issue as... Um, it, it could be, uh, obviously, something that needs to be taken care of. I think this is a, po a policy that's going to um, show who owns what and how much of it is legal. Mm -hmm. um, I had somebody, uh, this conversation came up with uh, the person that came through from um, overseas to see our property in Southlands. He said, oh, I'm just going to buy it in, a, in my friend's name. 
<laughs> okay. Um, I'm not your realtor. Uh, that's not allowed. Um, you need to be careful. Uh, you can't just go through these willy-nilly loopholes that were around before. They're not around anymore. This right. is not a. This is not an option for you to just um, avoid paying the taxes. You have mm-hmm. to pay the taxes if you're foreign national. Who knows where a lot of these owners own? And um, I, am I comfortable showing the world where I live? Um, I'm not. I'm not hiding anything, so it doesn't really matter to me. But if I was a hockey player, a celebrity, um, mm. I, I don't, or, or I just didn't want to share my address and then have people not know where I live. That's yeah. it's that's a privacy issue. Obviously, they're doing it for a reason. Um, let's see whose pants are down. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, look, at the end of the day, until this data comes out, no one really has known how much, I mean, for many years, while the BC liberals were in power, the BC NDP were the opposition, they were uh, the BC Liberals were crying. Hey, look, there is there are way too many foreign owners in Vancouver. They're driving up the housing prices. I my counter argument to that is I don't think that's been the only factor. I think it's been super cheap debt for so many years. It's also been driving up the housing prices. Plus, real estate tends to be a fairly stable investment for most people. They see it much more stable than the stock market, and they yeah. tend to favor it more. Um, so. Until we have this data, we won't really know. The, tra- the The problem I see is once we have the data, it's one thing to have the data so that the government itself can analyze it. But as soon as they make it public, that's where we get to the problem you pointed out, Mike, which is a privacy issue. Yeah. And do you really want you know your, your most hated enemies knowing exactly what you own and where you live? Yeah. But I do like the idea of getting to know, find out, like let's find out once and for all. You know, it'll be really interesting to see like our... our five percent of the homes in vancouver owned by foreigners is it 15 percent? is it 20 my gut feeling it's going to be a much lower number than most people i agree in, with you 100 percent. yeah and then i think it's going to be it'll well it'll be feeder for the bc liberals to say hey see we didn't do any a bad job and in fact the foreign home buyers weren't really a factor it was all these other factors yeah yeah. We'll now see. you can start. The, the information is going to help us make some smart decisions moving forward. Yeah. So there are going to be some positives that come out of it. Yeah. Um, it's a totally double-edged sword, right? So they just got to. I think they just got to make sure they manage that uh, that privacy aspect uh, well. Almost a third of BC's hundred most valuable homes are owned by corporations and not people, which ties in with this conversation. Do you have any thoughts on that? that statistic i wonder how they did it because buying real estate in a corporation is not easy especially if you want to be getting debt on it yeah um but think about it if you have your money in a corporation how much taxes you need to pay if you pull it out to buy that real estate yeah like there's some smart plays in that yeah (laughs) and the top 100 valued homes those are going to be some pricey pieces of real estate and i think a lot of them maybe are just handed down from generation to generation yeah um but good it's for them. But now I'm curious to know who those corporations are held by. Are they, are the CEO and the the directors all living in China and the states yeah. and Europe, or are they actually in Vancouver? Yeah, um, I'm curious to know if there's a loophole that's been taken advantage of. Yeah, because what was happening in the past was you could buy real estate in a Canadian company but your directors are actually in mainland China or in LA or in New York or Mm. in Dubai or London, and you don't have to pay that tax. Now that tax has been, that loophole is not available anymore. So these properties could have been purchased prior to that loophole. Um, That's gonna, it's gonna be some useful and good information for the government to be able to do some research there. Let's talk a bit uh, for a minute about um, inventories and how real estate buyers or sellers should interpret inventories and there's a i don't you'll have to tell me what this there's a metric that kind of evaluates how long inventory on average stays on before it gets sold i forget what that metric's it's called. like days on market yeah days on market yeah can you talk to us for a minute about what that is what that first of all what is the definition of days on market and do you want it to be high do you want it to be low what does that mean <laughs> days on marketing is an interesting marketing tool if you're going through you look online on your app. Mm-hmm. You want to look at houses in Point Grey. Right. And you've seen uh, that house on Point Grey Road that's been on the market for 450 days. 
<laughs> your first um, perception of that is something's wrong with it, yeah. or it's grossly overpriced, or some yeah something's up. Yeah. Like what's going on? But if you see that same house that's on Point Grey Road and it's only been on the market for a week, are you like, hey, call your realtor. I want to see this home. Like, tell me more about it. Not, it's been on the market for 400 days. What's wrong with it? Right. So the more days on market, the more negative stigma that's followed that property. Yeah. Um, what agents are doing now is to freshen the listing, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially to not deceit the buyer, but it's to freshen up the listing. And we do it for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them is if you've got a search set up for homes in Point Grey and that house has come through your search, but you've forgotten about it. Three weeks have gone by and now you're on to houses in Canby. And then you cancel that listing on Point Grey that's been on the market for 30 days and you re-put it on the market for maybe a new price. It gets resent to your search criteria. So you get that email in your inbox on mm-hmm. Monday morning. Hey, Andrew, this point grade listing just came back on the market. Mm-hmm. You should pay attention to it again. And then you so have to- So it's like relisting either... on Craigslist when exactly. you're trying to sell your it's bike. It's fresh. It's to bring it up to the top. <laughs> so, so it's a marketing thing. 100% a marketing Is there anything thing. related to uh, inventory and days on market or time? Like what I was actually trying to get to, Mike, wasn't so much the listing, but um, how long it takes between something getting listed and being sold. Yeah. So it's hard to keep track of that stat because okay. what, what you're seeing is how many days is the average home selling in. Oh, and right. And of realtors, course, if you refreshed it, yeah, it's it going brings back that to zero. Right. So that true reflection of how many days on the so market. It's a distorted uh, exactly. metric. Okay. But now there's a metric called cumulative days on market. That's calculating oh. all the days that it's been on the market before it's selling. Yeah. If you look at that data point, that's going to be a lot more accurate. That's mm. calculating all of them together. Um, it's giving us an indication of how active the market is. Mm-hmm. So if you're seeing uh, a ton of inventory on the market, your supply is way up and your demand is way down, your indicator is those days on market is going to expand. expand yeah. It's essentially telling you how much supply you have it or how much time you have on the market. Yeah. Yeah. Have you checked out the website Zillow.com before? Do you know that oh, one? Definitely, I'm on it. Yeah. Um, so as much as I like the little realtor app on my phone, it's still pretty lame. I mean, you know, I know you have way more access to data than I do as a consumer. Yep. And, you know, in the financial services industry, for example, you and I have the same access to basically everything. Um, you know, when you go to, you want to find out some information about, uh, you know, some history of something to do with the social injustice, you and I can go to the library and get the same information and go into Wikipedia and get the same thing. It seems like the world of real estate is still in this vacuum where there's a control mechanism where the only people that really have the data are the realtors. Yep. And and you compare even just Canada versus the States, I can go to Zillow.com into Bellingham or Seattle and take a look at the properties there man, the data I can get is insane. Like how many, you know, it lists like the last number of sales in the last 10 years and what its price is compared to its comparables. Like it's pretty impressive. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's ridiculous. I think the public should know what's going on. We actually have a program on our website, Van City Living, and it's called Fisherly. You have access to all the information that we do. So Fisherly will give you past sales. You want to look up in a building, how many have sold? What's your cost per square foot? Um, We're this, on your site right now, vancityliving.com. And this is, is the address going to change here soon, Mike? It, well, it's going to change to the nextdoor.ca yeah. um, starting July 1st. Okay. And, and you will be able to have, if you go to the our listings page or look into any listing, yeah. um, you'll be able to have access to similar sales histories yeah. for the product. And you can mm. actually go and dig further into it. Oh, wow. Um, and you can set up your own criteria and you'll get all the information that essentially we do. Um, oh. If you want to get wow. set up for what's active, we can send you active listings. Yeah. If you want to see what's sold, it'll automatically do it for you. We, yeah. we will not, we're not hiding anything. We don't have to okay it. Um, you do just need to sign in. Right. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So we want the public to know. I feel like that's fair. That was one of the biggest problems that we've had personally. Um, you shouldn't so you're have in favor to... of more disclosure, more information. 100%. Yeah. You need to know how much money we earn, um, what things sold for. You don't have to call me yeah. to to get the information that you require about real estate. It's your home. You deserve yeah. it. Yeah. You need to know. We're full disclosure. We're, we're fully transparent. You know everything about the process that we work. Um, I, I think you deserve it as yeah. the public. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, 
there's often the term of it's a buyer's market, it's a seller's market. And Vancouver has traditionally been a seller's market as these prices just continue to go up and up for the most part. Is it a buyer's market or a seller's market right now? Is it pretty equal? So a buyer's market and a seller's market is, it's essentially looking at how much inventory there is for the next three months. Okay. If you've got a ton of inventory, um, not a lot of buyers, you're essentially in a buyer's market because you've got the pick of the litter. You can choose whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So right now in looking at the last couple months, we need a few more months for this data really to start reflecting. Um, but in the last two months, we're in a balanced market for houses and condos. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is on the east side. And actually a buyer's, a seller's market. So seller's market means there's not a lot of inventory and lots of buyers. Yeah. So, you so if you're a seller, of, you kind of have an upper hand a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Which is very, very interesting. And that's on um, that's for townhouses. So townhouses are in a seller's market. Townhouse yeah. or condos and houses are in a balanced market. So okay. you've got an even amount of. And that's all in there. East Vancouver. East Van. Okay. And then um, you're actually in on the west side of Vancouver. Yeah. Houses, you're in a buyer's market. Mm. Okay. So we've got a few more a few more houses on the market, and then townhouses and condos, you're in a balanced market. Mm. Yeah. And what about downtown? Uh, so do you have that data or? I can. I'll have to look it up. And if you if you don't, what would you, what would your guess be right now? I would say closer to a balanced market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now there was a lot of talk um, previously when we go back to the topic of money laundering and foreign investors about the pre-sale business and and condominiums and people. I mean, I can still remember it wasn't that long ago where you'd see people literally lined up down the street for a pre-sale condo event. And I just could never understand it. It's like, it's kind of like standing in front of the nightclub yep. to try and get in and you get inside and it's <laughs> it's empty, right? Yep. <laughs> it's like it's like what I've seen, the, the love, I love what I now love is this COVID thing is Aritzia, you know, good for them for doing the same. They, they've got this lineup out, you know, and they're all these, got these spots where people have to stand for yep. their social distancing. But you walk by, you look inside, there's like nobody in there. But it's almost like it's attracting people to come stand in line because, oh my gosh, you know, you got any, and of course, they got signs that are like 70% off everything as long as it's a winter coat, right? Yeah. So, and then summertime. <laughs> exactly. So, pre sales. Tell me about that. And is that a good investment to make in your view? Or what, what's. It's a loaded question. Uh, I think. Are there pre sales even happening right now? Is it? Not a lot. No. Not a lot at all. What had happened in the past, I think it's a combination of two things. One, what I have noticed about Vancouver rights is everyone's, if everyone is in, everyone's in. Everybody's going to jump on that bandwagon. If you take a look at the history of what happened, let's say 2005 and on, let's take a bit of a skip over the financial crisis in 2008 and for the couple of years around there. If you went in and you were lucky to buy a property in pre-sale, but essentially, you were buying it in today's dollars. So let's say $500 a square foot. And then in two years, when you actually got the keys for your condo, the chances are the cost per square foot was around seven, eight, eight hundred $800 a square foot. You only had to put down 5 10 15 20%, depending on the program that the developer was offering you. Yes. So you take 5% of $500,000 for a one bedroom. So it's not a lot of money down. And then you earn two hundred thousand dollars in two years because now that condo's gone up to seven hundred thousand. You've essentially turned Andrew. You got a math. What's five percent of five hundred grand? Yeah, it's twenty five thousand dollars. Okay, so twenty five thousand dollars in two years now just turned into two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's a ten. And what did you do? You didn't do anything. Yeah. You're not paying a mortgage on it. It didn't cost you anything. And you had a 10X on your return. There you go, in two years. So why wouldn't you buy a pre-sale? Yeah. So now what the problem is, is what we're seeing in some And for foreign, there's a lot of foreign, there's speculation a lot of foreign buyers are doing this because there's no capital gains tax either. I mean, theoretically there is, but they're not claiming it and they're just walking away with the profits. There you go. Mm -hmm. So there were so many options for you to do. So why would you not? Yeah. However, I went and I decided to buy a place in the Jacobson uh, on uh, it was about three months before the financial crisis, okay. and uh, by the time it completed, guess what? It was not worth two hundred thousand dollars more. It was worth less. So 
you are not, it's not bulletproof. Yeah. And you, the biggest thing is you're buying a big piece of real estate off a piece of paper. It's a floor plan giving yeah. you an indication of what sure. it looks like. The, the display centers are always done with the designer and wallpaper and paint and yeah. fancy furniture. And when you walk in for the first time and it's this blank slate, no wallpaper and no furniture, and it looks smaller than it actually, than it was when you walked through the display suite, even though there were 25 people in the living room. Um, you got to make sure you set that expectation. What you're buying is going to be a blank slate. Mm -hmm. However, there are some great op great opportunities out there. You just got to make sure you're using and buying a good builder, a good yeah. developer. They know what they're doing. They've been around for a long time. They've got good product. And they bought the land for the right amount of money. Right mm -hmm. now, land is very expensive. So whether you like it or not, it's being pushed off to the buyer. So you're paying a lot of money. Um, I'm personally not a fan uh if you like to speculate that's probably the wrong avenue to go down if you're buying a home that you want to live in go ahead just mm -hmm. be comfortable with the dollar yeah um you got to pay some taxes on top of it uh get some good advice make sure you talk to a real estate agent that really knows what they're doing mm. um 100 don't do it on your own like, yeah go and talk to someone that knows what they're doing get some professional advice okay um is there anything that a is there anything that a real estate seller can really actually do to improve the resale price or value or of their home? Like, a, or is it really just up to the market? Like if you and I are both having the same house in the same street, it's the same kind of build and same era, but I'm a, I'm a damn slob. You're super clean. You, you know, some buyer comes in, they see both properties and well, the guts of the property, once it's getting cleaned out with all my shit and your stuff is is already half gone anyways, is does it really make a difference? Well, I've seen your house and I know it's not a slob, but I know <laughs> this, is, it, it's, this is just an example. Um, 100% it makes a difference. Yeah? And one of the things that I love about real estate, residential real estate, is it's so emotional. It's not like commercial where one plus one has to equal two. Right. Math has to make sense. Where right on. In residential, you're about to find your home. When I, when I talk to a seller, I... I try to get them to visualize a buyer walking into their home or when they bought it for the first time. Can you imagine coming home from a really stressful day at work or looking after the kids all day or whatever the scenario is? All you want to do is picture yourself sitting on that living room couch right with a glass of wine in your hand, watching that TV and just calming down after a nice day at work. Yeah, You don't want to have your junk everywhere or your picture of your family above the TV. Yeah. You want it to be as junk free as possible. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's a formula that we've done in the past. If it's staged, it looks good. It's yeah. not vacant uh, in the sense of no furniture. Yeah. Um, and you want to walk in there and call that your home. It will sell faster than your home that is full of garbage and a hoarder lives there and you can right. never picture yourself living there. Mm. Yeah. It will sell faster and for more money. So that doesn't cost much money. It's just more about having the making taking the effort to like clean your to place do up. Do you ever like candidly tell people like, listen, man, like your place looks like a like a dog's breakfast. You got to clean this place up if you want to get full price for it. Do you ever tell your clients? Not that? in those words, but <laughs> I've I've done similar things. Yes, to politely work with my sellers to clean up the the yeah. environment. We've gone through efforts of having people move out. Yeah. We've um, I work with a staging crew, Mimi Brooks, who's so incredibly hands-on. She'll help you do the move. Really? She'll help you take stuff up. She'll help you declutter. Um, it's very worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. What about uh, the more expensive aspects of, say, doing a, a what they often refer to as like a paint and sweep or like doing, you know, maybe having uh, – an extension built or something. Maybe that's a little too expensive, ex extreme, but is there any merit to spending on a million and a half, $2 million house, spending 50 grand to spruce it up? Oh yeah. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. Where, where do you get the most bang for your buck in that kind of kitchens, situation? bathrooms, paint, curb appeal? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. get it washed sometimes. Maybe Just get it washed, get yeah. the garden Some done nicely. Magic eraser and clean up the walls and, uh, that's it's it's small things, and again, this is why we bring in Mimi Brooks. I see you bring her, her oh, yeah, websites yeah. up. Uh, yeah. I I'm really good at selling homes. Mimi Brooks is really making, really good at making homes look good, so I can sell them. Right on. Uh, we bring in. The what does a service like Mimi's cost? Is that that's so for, that's that's probably paid for by the seller, right? Or, yeah, the yeah. sellers pay for that. Like a three bedroom home is going to cost you around five thousand dollars to have it fully staged. For how long? A month. 
okay. and then you pay on a every two months after that or two weeks after that. Mimi, I apologize about throwing numbers out. If you are looking, <laughs> she, listening, she hates it when I do that. Yeah. Um, well, I pinned you on it. So, <laughs> it's, yeah. Anyways, what a beautiful site. Yeah, that's she's pretty, phenomenal. She yeah, really is. She's yeah. she's the, the. I know our house was staged when we saw it. it looked great. Yeah. There you go. We even bought some of the furniture. Crystal bought some of the stuff that was. Uh, yeah. Means they've done a good job. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if she staged that house. Yeah. I think the the market is quite interesting right now. Who's buying? And yeah. some of the conversations that I'm having are, okay, Mike, if I'm stuck in COVID and they, we get a second wave and I'm not allowed to leave home, get me out. I don't want to be here right now. Uh, right. It's too small. Or I need more space. Or I need a backyard. Or find me a place on Bowen Island. Uh, find me a place. Is that in what, Oh, yeah. Right now. I'm in the works. Really? Uh, we've got an offer going back and forth right now with someone. I mean, sales uh, volumes have come up here, haven't they? Yeah. In the last couple of weeks, like quite oh, a bit. 100%. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're full on active. We're essentially wow. in a spring market. Um, Amazing. Which is great. Uh, but the buyers are looking. It's not a normal market. Yeah. It's, okay, get me out of my situation. If you, Mike, if I'm stuck here for the next 12 months, I need a backyard. Or literally show me something that's on the water. I, I've a boat with a dock. Right. Uh, Maybe or, this is why detached properties are going up a little bit in price. You versus want more space. A, yeah. yeah. You want that backyard. You can now go to the park, which is in your backyard. Right. Um, so yeah, we're, we're seeing more volume. And I think it's, if you live on that 20th floor and you've got to get to work at nine o'clock, you know what? You have to be in the lineup to get in the elevator for eight o'clock because only two of you can get in the elevator or you're walking down oh, right. 20 floors. Think right. about I never that. Thought, I never thought Think about that. living in a strata in the middle of the building. Jesus. Yeah. My, my clients that live on the Is that what's happening the, right now? Yeah. I spoke to a client of mine yesterday that lives in one of the sub penthouses in a unit in a building downtown. I asked her how she's coping. She said, "Fine, I live on the top. If I lived in the middle or at the bottom, that would be terrible. How am I going to walk oh, my I dog see. every day? Because you're because no one's one coming up to the very top except elevator. for her. Exactly. So she always gets to be on there, and then so the elevator. Oh, starts I see. At so the if you're on the fourth down, floor on a 16-story building or something, 20-story building, you're in you're bad shape. You're walking down. Yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> okay. Oh, so if you're walking down, it's not so bad you're only on the fourth floor. So I guess the worst spot is in like a 35-floor property. You don't want to be on like the 20th floor or no. the 15th floor. You're, wa- you're getting a steps in, that's for sure. Yeah. That's your gym class. Who would have ever thought you'd be getting calls like that for that kind of situation, <laughs> right? That's amazing. Never. Never. Yeah. All right. Let me... Um, let me let me ask you one more question. Let's sure. go back to the the property types. So we talked about the luxury market. We talked a little bit about the, the condo market. But I want to go back to my question I asked you last time. Um, what if I'm trying to get into the market right now and I'm a first time home buyer yep. um, and I'm trying to to get into something that's going to have some land on it? Where where am I looking in Vancouver? And realistically, what kind of price do I need to be looking at paying to to get in? Well, I think to start on the west side is expensive, as you just illustrated with the average house over $3 million. That, that's a big chunk to chew. And let's be honest, most first-time homebuyers are not looking in that category. No. Uh, if you're buying your first place and you want to get land, you don't necessarily have to start with a single family detached. Okay. Why don't you look at a duplex? Oh, or duplex, yeah. even start with uh, the place that we lived in before, the way we live now, is three townhouses on one piece of land. Oh, interesting. So now you're on a third of the land. And that actually went up uh, when the market went down. So try get in somewhere mm-hmm. and don't, don't like you've got to fix your head here. You can't buy brand new to start. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily want to. You want to buy something that has good bones in a good area and climb the ladder. So yeah. buy that, live in it for a year, two, three more, uh, do some renovations to it, update it. And then if your family grows, then consider upsizing. Now you're you're riding the wave of the market. Um, so for those first-time home buyers who can't afford to get into a property, they don't have to go with a condo downtown. Um, what what pockets within the Vancouver area would you recommend? What neighborhoods do you think are a really sweet spot to be trying to pick up a property right now for your first first purchase? I think because you said that you made the sorry you made the reference of good neighborhoods. Like, what would you where would you describe some of the good neighborhoods? Well, it really depends. Like, what what you're interested in. Um, Some communities are going to be better for others. Um, You're going to want to live in certain communities. Um, Like, there's some great options in Richmond. There's some great options in Hastings Sunrise, Strathcona, um, uh, along Broadway with the new SkyTrain coming in. I think mm-hmm. you're going to have an increase in value there. Yeah. Uh, try not move next to the SkyTrain station. You want to live a little bit away. Um, yeah. Just uh, 
Yeah, look, look for an area where you're not in a peat bog. So there's a lot of soft ground um, in some of the depths in the, the lower areas around Maine, Canby, and uh, a little bit further east. So yeah. make sure you buy in some solid ground mm-hmm. um, near good schools. Um, there, there are lots of options. Burnaby is a really good option. There's some great real estate prices out there. You can yeah. buy houses with a suite downstairs for 1.3, and you've got some $2,000 a month in, in revenue helpers downstairs. Uh, you don't have laneways in Burnaby at the moment, but Renfrew Heights, you've got... We sold they don't a house. allow laneways in Burnaby? Yet? Not in Burnaby at oh, the moment. interesting. Okay. So like Eastside Renfrew Heights, we sold a house for $2.1 million that had a laneway home yeah. and it had two suites downstairs and then the main house with four bedrooms upstairs. Mm. So the sellers at the end of the day, uh, the, the owners, yeah. their mortgage is as mu- it's less than they were actually paying in the house that they were living in in Burnaby. Wow. That's so pretty cool. now they live with a Vancouver address and they're spending less. So yeah. there are options. You need to find something that needs work. That's you're okay to do a renovation and just climb the ladder slowly. Be okay. patient. Okay, great. Yeah. Mike, your uh, website is about to change. What's your new website going to be? Thenextdoor.ca. Thenextdoor.ca. And uh, do, do, are you on social media, Twitter or Instagram? Or th- yeah, okay. stuck me up, Mike Ram. Who are your team? Who's your on your team? So myself, and then we have Bronwyn Bertels, who's been with me for five years, Sherry Chen, who's been with me for nine, Andy Skeen, she's been in real estate for nine years. Yeah. Um, your mom? Your mom's still my with you? My mom, she's with me for <laughs> 13 years since 2000. She's been with you since you were born, man. <laughs> yeah, that too. That <laughs> she's too, always been mom. on your team. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's been on payroll for over a decade now. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a new office in West Vancouver and North Van. Uh, oh, Jesse okay. Dean Cook is running that. And yeah, and it's uh, Angles and Volkers that you're that correct. you're with, right? Yeah, yeah Angle and Volkers, quite, quite a good brand there. Yeah, yeah we're really yeah. enjoying it. They're yeah. they're phenomenal. They've got yeah. a great reputation. Well, thanks for the mic, uh, Mike. Thanks for the update. This has been great. I do want to have you come back in about six months when uh, yeah, all this. Talk. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's see because I think there's going to be some real you know some big actions going to happen here in the real estate yeah. market. Mike Ramph of Angle and Volkers, uh, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate it. Andrew Johns, yeah. thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, fun. Mike. Thanks, man. Cheers.